Hi, this is Mason Dukacek, and I want to welcome you to my show, The Mason Dukacek Show. And today I have one of my favorite guests with me, Hank Epstein, and he is the principal and founder of The Quality Coach, which is a consulting firm here in the St. Louis area. And we've had the opportunity to work on, on projects together, and I've seen behind the scenes some of the amazing work he does for some amazing companies and clients. And I appreciate you coming in today, Hank. My pleasure, Mason. Really glad to be here. One of the things I'd, you know, I'd like to just focus on one thing, and today... I, I, for those of you who don't know, I sat in a, one of the sessions he did with one of his clients, I guess, a couple of weeks ago, and, and the discussions were revolving around working with people in different generations. Yep. And it was kind of interesting to hear some of the, the baby boomers complain about working with millennials, and some of the millennials can complain about working with the, the baby boomers, and yep. they all had valid points, and I got them. But mm -hmm. um, I find I, one of the thing, one of the reasons I value his opinion on this particular topic is because it's very easy for, in my opinion, it's very easy for um, business managers and executives to paint with a very broad brush when it comes to the generations, and it's not difficult to find people who are willing to complain about millennials or millennials who are going to complain about Generation Xers or baby boomers. But one of the things I appreciated about Hank in our discussions was how you talked about not painting with a broad brush and treat, treating each of them as individuals. And, and, and that requires some intellectual discipline and, and emotional discipline on the parts of the leaders to, to, to not just generalize. But, and I appreciated that you recognize that. But um, based on, on uh, some of the things that you've studied and some of the things that your organization shares with others, let's talk a little bit about how we get the most out of millennials. If you're a manager or a supervisor, what are some of the tips, ideas, and strategies you have for getting the most out of millennials? Okay, that's a, that's a big question. Uh, and uh, let me start. And uh, as you know, you know, I can go off on tangents, and I'm going to let you bring me back if, uh, if I do. So I think the answer to the question, you know, how we get the most out of millennials really connects to some of your opening remarks. And that is that we stop thinking about them as millennials and start thinking about them as human beings who have certain generalized needs based on the time in which they grew up and then also specific needs based upon their characteristics as individual human beings. What are some of those general needs and what are some of those specific needs? Right. So let's, let's talk about some of the generalities of what they were experiencing when they were growing up. And they really are a generation that, through no fault of their own, wound up at a, at a place in what I'm going to call a sociological chain. So their grandparents, who were the baby boomers, they were the generation that first suffered the business of these mass downsizings and layoffs and, and all of that. And, and as a result of that big sociological change, their parents were what were known, and maybe you heard the term, latchkey kids. So their grandparents both had to work to make ends meet because things changed so drastically in the workforce. And with both parents working, what did that mean? When the kids came home from school, there was nobody there. And that's where that term latchkey came from. So, of course, their parents were the latchkey kids. And as they grew up, 
they swore that their kids weren't going to be like them. Their kids were not going to come home to an empty house. And from that sort of beginning uh, uh, theme of parenting, they became what we now know as whirlybird parents. So rather than having their kids sort of be abandoned, they were like all over their kids. They were on top, you know, they were you know, orchestrating, choreographing their kids' lives, you know, from piano lessons to soccer practice to, you know, who knows what. All of that was going on. So through no fault of their own, these kids developed a way of looking at the world. And of course, that way of looking at the world is, you know, someone's always going to take care of me. You know, someone's, someone's going to prop me up. I don't have to worry about dealing with the natural consequences of my choices and my decisions. And so that's a very big uh, uh, perspective that they got in growing up. Now, what's interesting is not all of them got that perspective because I have, I have met a host of parents, Gen, Gen Xers, who are their parents, who, who realized the danger of what was going on in the, you know, the, the sociological, in the culture, if you will. And they were very careful to make sure these kids got a job. If they wanted something, they had to earn it. Uh, and of course, those kids, they have the millennial chronology. You know, they're, they're within the age of the millennial range, but they don't act like the typical millennial. Sure. That makes sense? Yes. So fundamentally, what, what we need to do with these guys, the other, the other big thing about them is that they're, you know, they're scary technologically competent. And, and they, they have grown up accustomed to getting information off of the Internet, uh, you know, very easily and very quickly. Uh, I took uh, uh, my niece, who is a millennial, Jeannie and I took my niece to Europe. And we would be on these fast trains, you know, driving between Switzerland and France or Switzerland and Germany or Austria. And off in the distance, there would be a castle. And little Emily would be sitting there doing this, and pretty soon she'd tell me the entire history of the castle. You know, when it was built, who fought over it. You know, I'm, I, I was like stunned. And I still am stunned with their technical prowess. The problem with that is that they have been conditioned to use this technical prowess to sort of avoid human-to-human interaction. Or I would even go so far as to say, at least as it relates to my son, problem solving. I mean, there's been times I've had discussions with him, like, Clayton, why, you know, why don't you just figure this out? You know, I, and it might take me 15, 20, 30 minutes to think about something and figure out a solution where he can just go online, find out the different options, and say, here you go. Yeah. And you know, and I'm like, but you're not thinking; you're just finding yes. the answer. And yes. the reality of it is, yes. um, he's like, well, why would you take 20 or 30 minutes to do something I can do in five? Yeah. And the reality right. is, he, he has a point. Yeah, he has a point. <laughs> As do I. But yes. the, but right. it, but I understand his perspective exactly. And that and and now you're right at the heart of it. The key to all of this is to be patient enough to interact with these folks so that you get their perspective and you demand that they get your perspective as well. If we can do that, I think you have to do both of those. You have to do both. And of course, when you think about it, isn't that true of anybody? You know, 
So my perspective, you know, I'm going to be 75 in, in February. So I grew up at the end of World War One. You know, uh, my mother's side of the family were all killed in the in the concentration camps in the Holocaust. So you know, I have a particular perspective, uh, you know, about life. I watched my father, you know, in in his job, you know, the way he treated people had a huge impact on the way I treat people, and 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 how important I think it is to value everybody. So, what are some of the tips that you have for dealing with right. millennials and getting the most productivity and value out so of it? So, the first tip is the one that we just said. You've really got to be patient. You've got to spend some time with them to understand their perspective. Because, and it's that's a difficult challenge because you you've got deadlines as a leader. You've got deadlines, and you've got a million different things going on in your head, and they don't have the the benefit of all of the knowledge and experience you have. And when you say, "Hey, I need you to do this." They put the brakes on and they got to know why. Right. And, and, and see, that's where, that's where it's important for you to tell them why. It might not be the why that they want to hear in the moment. And for the but, record, I found that because I said so, it doesn't usually work very well. <laughs> the, the thing is, so, so let's just take that as a scenario, okay? So, you know... You've got this. You've got this young person, and or someone older than me might say, right. because that's the way we've always done it. Right. Yeah. Right. And just you know, every bit as frustrating to them as millennials as the reverse is true. Right. So you've got a deadline, an emergency job that you need to get done, and they want to know why. They want to know why. So there's two ways you can approach it. So you know you can approach it like the boss, right, and say you do it because I told you to do it. You know, or you can approach it more like this wholehearted leader kind of thing that we've been talking about on some of these uh, uh, other programs, Mason, you can say, look, right now, the most important thing is to serve that customer. And that means we've got to get this done so we get it into shipping department, you know, so it ships today so he gets it tomorrow. Now, tomorrow, when the pressure's off a little bit, you and I are going to sit and talk, and, and uh, I'll explain to you some of the things that are going on. And, oh, by the way, I noticed something that you were doing with your iPhone and, and something that you said to me last week and it occurs to me that that might help improve this process. And I want to talk to you about that as well. Kind of get the idea? Yes. Does that make some sense? So in other words, we got to get off of our knee-jerk default, I'm the boss, do what I say response. That's the first thing. So what you're talking about there is coaching. Exactly. Exactly. And interaction. Exactly. And one of the things that you have to understand about these folks is because they have spent so much time doing this, they really do need coaching in human interaction. They don't know how to interact. You know, for them, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, the business of you know this and this on the you know on the internet, the thumbs up, the thumbs down, all of that kind of stuff is totally dehumanizing. It's it's not human. Well, it's it's funny you talk about the need for coaching for human interaction because you know my my son just started his freshman year of college. Uh -huh. And there are a couple pieces of advice that I gave him. I won't share all of it, but one of them was when you're talking to an adult, and I don't care if it's a coach, I don't care if it's a teacher's aide, I don't care if it's a professor, or if it's another parent. And when you're engaged in a conversation, I expect you to put your phone away, and I don't care who's texting or who's ringing. I want, that, I want you to put it away. And do not look at it until that conversation, as you give them your undivided attention. I said, son, if you can do that, then you will that will put you head and shoulders above your peers who haven't been told that or two have been told that and haven't followed that advice. 
And he called me up recently and he said, Dad, um, he goes, you gave me better advice than I expected. And I go, why is that? And he said, um, he said, well, evidently there was one of the athletes was talking to a coach and was texting during the conversation with the coach. <laughs> and the coach was a little bit old school and didn't take too kindly to it. I'll so the coach took the phone, tossed it into the pond. And, of course, the, <laughs> the athlete was like, what am I supposed to do now, coach? He said, well, looks like you either need to learn to swim or get a new phone. That was the end of the conversation. Yeah. So my son was like, Dad, you were right about that. Absolutely. And I'm like, every once in a while, I, 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 I'm an Ontario kid, and this might be one of those times. Yeah, right. But uh, So I understand. I, I agree with you 100% about yeah. uh, the coaching on the human interaction. What about, um, what about openness to their ideas? Is that a good thing or a bad thing, and why? Yeah, well, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Again, what makes an idea a good idea or not such a good idea? It's sort of the context, isn't it? So, so one of the things that you can do with, with these guys is you can get them all involved in improving the work that's assigned to them. And, of course, the model that we love to use, and you've heard me talk about this in the past, is the two-second lean model. So the first thing about that model is we want to teach them how to recognize waste. So, of course, there's an acronym. What, what is the two-second model for those? Yeah, so the two-second model is got three elements to it. First, learning to recognize waste. And there's, all, there's eight different kinds of waste. Second of all is identifying something about their work that bugs them. They, you know, that's, that's not kind of, hard. That's what they're complaining about, right. And, and then give them the opportunity, almost unquestioningly, to make the, the adjustments in what's bugging them so that it works better. And of course, with these guys, because they're using this technology and guys like me don't even know what the technology is or what its capabilities are, it's worth asking the question, okay, what was it about the technology that had, that had it improve this process so you know, significantly? And are there other steps, other tasks similar to this one in other processes that we might apply this to as well? So now all of a sudden, we're into the best practice game. And then the third element of Two Second Lean is making videos before and after so that people, first of all, and, and showing these videos in a routine way so people see all the different kinds of waste that are out there. And then they start to go, oh, boy, I see something like that in my process. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also giving people an opportunity to acknowledge each other because often you can't make an improvement without the help of maintenance or without the help of engineering or the help of accounting. And so... In the videos, not only do you show the before and after, but you give the audience, uh, you know, a sense of acknowledgement of the people who helped that particular person in their improvement. So what do you say to a manager who, or a team leader who's frustrated with millennials who have been there six months and already want raises and promotions? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. Uh, uh, I got involved in this whole area of our coaching work uh, based on a phone call from a client. And he had just gotten off the phone from the mother of one of our employees. And she wanted to know why her daughter didn't get exceeded expectations. By the she, way, that's not the first time I've heard of that conversation. Yeah. She, she, you know, she, she wanted to know why her daughter got meets expectations, not exceeds expectations. And of course, when he told me that story, I mean, uh, <laughs> my mouth just dropped it. I really didn't know what to say to him. And so I began, I began to study. And, and, I think, I think the answer to your question 
lies in some of the, the demonstrated uh, uh, activities of some of these deliberately developmental organizational cultures. So there's a book that everyone out there might be interested in looking at. It's called An Everyone Culture. And it was written by a Harvard psychologist named Robert Keegan. Uh, and he's an educational psychologist. He's the one that coined that term, deliberately developmental organization. And I think that what you do is you, you begin with these folks to put them on some kind of a career path. 